Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Becoming visible to myself, an unexpected memoir by Catherine Kaplan is the result of her practice, not the only result, but it is currently a major result of a lifetime of being a student of organization, behavior, and in this memoir, a student of her own behavior in organizations, and it's fascinating. And so is she. The book matches the person. And I thought it would be nice for her, since the book just came out, and it's available on Amazon, to tell us what it's like to go through all of the, I don't know, countless steps and hours to produce this unusually uh, profound book. Profound in it, it is about self-discovery and indeed it encourages self-discovery in our part, on the reader's part. At one point I had said in, in an email to Catherine that reading the book, since I was asked to be one of its earliest reviewers, transformed me. And I didn't have a chance in this conversation to explain that a little further to her. So uh, in this introduction, I'll simply say, as I read what she was get, had the courage to and the insight to say about her situations as they changed, as circumstances changed, as her life went through ups and some big downs, losses. Uh, I, I found myself thinking about me. <laughs> what would I disclose if I were to title a memoir, Becoming Visible to Myself? <laughs> yeah. I know it's scary to look in there, but it's good and it's healthy. And I think that's what you're going to hear in our conversation in this episode. This is new author, not her first book, but her most recent book, Catherine Kaplan. I've come back. <laughs> I've come back to Catherine. No, I didn't leave her. I will never leave my friend Kathleen Kaplan. But I have come back for another recording of another conversation because we, when we spoke before, she mentioned that she had a book in progress. And these days, people in our field always have a book in progress. But the reason I'm back now is the book is done. Done, done, done. I'm holding it up, even though we're only going to have audio is uh, called Becoming Visible to Myself and an intriguing subtitle called An Unexpected Memoir by Catherine L. Captain, PhD. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about this time. That's why I've come back, Catherine. I, 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 when Peter and I had a way of thinking that we uh, needed to anchor the book, we, we said that uh, it's, a, it's a conscious choice 
to pursue results over an extended period of time, regardless of the circumstances. And wherever our practice brings us in the moment is where we have the opportunity to learn and grow. Now, I call a result like this book a big R result with <laughs> lots of little results that got you there. Uh, so uh, how are you feeling, because the book is just barely out in the world, about this result, the book becoming visible to myself? Well, it's thrilling, and it's kind of unbelievable, <laughs> because I think I had it inside me for many, many years, decades, that I wanted to write a book that was really about my soul and my heart's desire. And, uh, you know, it, just being determined, just having the skills to write isn't enough. And it finally came. And so I am so grateful and so relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another aspect of this way of thinking about practice that Peter and I have is that uh, done in continually changing circumstances and situations. Mm. So uh, the book may well have been... um, knocking on your innards, saying, let me out. I have a story to tell. But you, you know, you change locations. Uh, you, have, you and Patrick went through some huge changes. He passed away and, and on and on. Uh, and at any point, now that I've read this, I know the answer already. At any point, did you consider saying, forget it. Uh, I'm not going to do this memoir. Well, I started the book by researching all my journals. Uh, And I finished that in June of 2020. And Patrick was, uh, we were partners in our firm, Kaplan, Noten, and Associates. But he's the extrovert. And he kept wanting to go back to New York. And so he was gone for weeks and weeks. So I finally had time to review all these journals. Then in August, he got diagnosed with uh, cancer. Mm. So I put the thing away. And it wasn't until, you know, he died almost two years ago in April. And um, it was last year um, that I, it occurred to me to look at, the manuscript that I put away. And with a change in perspective and and things going on, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not the only audience. Maybe this could have some value for other people. And that's when uh, I submitted it to the publisher. He said, I love your book. I want to publish it. So that started us revising it. Yeah. So was it pretty much... uh... A, a first draft when when you're a publisher and you tell 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 everyone the name of the publisher and and the editor because I think it's uh, it's very pertinent to the fact that this book exists. Well, his name is Tom Pfeiffer, and he couldn't be a better book uh, partner for me. And he owns a small uh, publishing 
firm called Christmas Lake Press. Mm. And he has a partner. I haven't met her. Mm. And, uh, you know, they don't, they have the advantage of being nimble and responsive because they want to do everything from start to finish. And that's the kind of person I am with projects and, you know, everything. So, So you really did um, uh, have a highly fortuitous disconnection with with Thomas at the very time that you said, okay, now I'm ready. Thank goodness you found him. Uh, or did he find you? How did that uh, How did that begin? No, I had taught. It's funny because Patrick had died and a friend. I don't really keep in touch with people. So I'm not on Facebook or any of that. But someone that I knew when I was like in seventh and eighth grade reached out to someone who's a prolific writer and um, told them, our little group from seventh and eighth grade that uh, my husband had died. And so one of the people who is a very prolific published author and friend um, wrote me a note, a condolence note. And then I thought that was so kind of him. And then I asked him, does, can he help me decide if I want to do something with this manuscript? Mm-hmm. And he and his wife uh, have ex- do a lot of writers' conferences and workshops. And so he told me over the phone uh, to write a rave review. And he said, <laughs> "I know you." He said, "I know you don't want to do that because you think you know every writer's so self-critical." But write as if people got it. So I wrote that up, and it got me over the hump. I was like, "Okay." Yes. I mean, if people really understood, I would write this book. I would like that. And then he said, I have someone I can uh, refer you to. I had sent him the manuscript and he said, I think I know, you know, the right perfect person for you. So that's what happened. That's terrific. And and it uh, adds, it adds another uh, check, check mark to how uh, practice works fundamentally. And that is, it's, always social it's it's uh-huh. we don't accomplish many results if any without being um in the at least the 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 awareness of other people if not in the presence of them and and that kind note uh to you reminded you of some people like them who who, who knew and it just it, yes. it, it ignited something uh it doesn't mean we all have to be out there hanging out there in social media all the time it does matter though that people who do know us care about us and apparently your friend and his spouse really do care about you and so they give you this lead but that's the other part of how practice works i know someone who knows someone and then you have that moment since you did the rave review idea which i think is brilliant yeah you've got the a, a bit of the chutzpah you need to say to, to this uh, stranger who soon will become your book partner uh i'm catherine i have a, a manuscript i would love to have it published by christmas lake yeah and 
what I would be imagining at that point, circumstances now are different. Someone like he could say, geez, I wish we've got our, our agenda is full, you know, maybe come back in a year, whatever. You, he didn't say that. He well, said, there's something that I write about in the book called grace. Yes. And I make it with a capital G. And yes. that is when the stars align. Yes. You know, it's like the universe hears you and is is going to make it happen. And I had decades of it not happening. So <laughs> that, <laughs> that okay, all of Grace. a sudden it was there. I was like, okay, you know, yeah. it was so exciting. There may have been a, a, a moment or two since I now know your story from birth to the, to the moment here, having <laughs> I've read every every page of your oh, of your wonderful book. You. And I what I guess I'm saying is Grace may have been around, but just around the corner. <laughs> and you were distracted and you went off to another another a task or another challenge. And uh I don't think Grace is uh, I, th I think Grace therefore uh waits for just the right moment and then uh Yeah. she whispered in your ear, Tom here, okay. Let's do this. So now you've got an, an agreement, a, a, a chance to really make this into a, a, a book that goes out into the world. Uh, tell me a little bit about the collaboration that it took to get this book to be as, as really unique as it is. And what makes it unique? Your journal entries. Uh-huh. Your the fact that you did the homework and read your journals yeah. so you were primed for a memoir but it the journals would not let you tell half truths or uh, lose threads right. the journal uh was your creds if you will so you would write a a chapter and right. and, and uh through throughout the chapter there would be uh actual scanned photos of the cool kind of writing that you did in your journals it was mostly uh pictures folks stick right. figures you know like my mind maps gone crazy but it was wonderful so my point is that yes there there was uh there was one of the things that made the book unique and and the other among other things is that it is a memoir Right. We condition to think that only, you know, the uh, lead soprano at the Metropolitan, uh, with the help of a ghostwriter, is going to write her memoir about you know, her many uh, wonderful uh, victories in opera and so forth. And so we we look to memoirs being. And what I like particularly about it, Catherine is while you are highly accomplished in many ways in my field, organization development and change. Yeah. You're one of us, you're a regular person. And that's what readers need. Uh, I believe they need to hear about, well, an unexpected memoir, uh, a person writing about herself who really seems a lot like you or me or anyone else. And this is this is some feedback you got from another one of our friends, Carol, uh, as she was uh, reading it, and then 
we talked about it together in a, in a Zoom call. She said, I didn't know we had the same mother. <laughs> oh. You didn't have the same mother, but when you wrote about your folks and, and how that affected you and your siblings and all that, it touched a chord with her to the point she was sitting there on vacation in tears. And so normally, normal people like us who have uh, such connections to our past and, and, and the current need to talk, write about it, uh, want to be hearing the writing of a person who has really put it out there. And uh, of course, you did have a ghostwriter, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you mean those but are all your words? <laughs> they are all my words. No, and well, the thing, so the partnership with Tom, first of all, you know, there's uh, characteristics that make a good partnership. And for me, being timely. So mm. he told me, I'll read your book and get back to you in two weeks. To the day he gets back to me. Then he says, why don't we start uh, once a week for an hour and we'll go over it from beginning to end. So Thursday at two was our time and it continues to be our time. So um, that was helpful to me, you know, that I knew we were going to talk. And then um, as we went through it, he's, you know, he's written a lot of different kinds of books and he helps people with novels and all, all sorts of things. So he would uh, draw out of me um, anecdotes. Like I would have, so I would write about something and he'd say, is there more to this? I said, well, not in my journals. Right, but this is your story. You're allowed to, you know, I'm kind of academic. The journals are all that I'm going to Oh, use. I know. I can hear and, that in your voice. <laughs> right? And he'd say, well, it's your story. Is there more here? Well, actually, there is. And then I would tell him. And then uh, so he could, one, draw things out to make it more compelling, more emotional, more deep, mm -hmm. and then uh, deeper. And then um, as as we were going, he'd say, like I had only, like with the manuscript, I sent maybe 20 examples of my journal entries and uh, the whole manuscript organized, uh, part one, part two. And he said, he, so once he saw the entries, he'd be reading something and say, well, is there possibly another entry that you have in your journals that relates to this? Well, to make a long story short, he pulled out over a hundred. I'd say, oh, okay, yeah, I know where that is. And because I'm so organized, I had yes. an index of all 32. I'd quick go through the index. Oh, yeah, that was in 2014. Okay, journal number. <laughs> and then I'd find it, and then I'd scan it, and then I'd send it. And so, you know, that. And then the thing that made me feel really proud, I guess, is that he liked my organization. And when I was young, I could not organize. I mean, if any of my high school teachers knew that I wrote this book, they'd go, she could structure something. But the structure came from the journal review, and it had to do with themes, and it yes. wasn't chronological. So the fact that he got that, and he kept that the same, I was, it was like, fine, change anything else you want. But he, he kept the thing that just seemed central to me. 
And then the other part was, you know, I started, the reason it's unexpected is because I had some friends here who wanted to learn how to journal. So I said, oh, well, I, I know how to do that. So I started writing about how I journal. Yeah. And then all of that went into part two, kind of practical application. And mm -hmm. a lot of people that I had sent out for review on my own earlier, before I met him, had said, well, maybe you have two books. But he, you know, my whole thing is integration. And he saw the integration. Yes, I do oh, too. You do too. As oh. a reader, yeah. No, it was, it was like dessert. Because we were seeing, I'm sorry to break the flow here, but no, I will say no, that, that you did. I wanted you to say it, it was the uh, it was it was the journal entry uh, scanned in, uh, peppered in, always relevant, uh, made the case, uh, reinforced the case, uh, and so you're you're seeing this wonderful device which I haven't seen before, and uh, and uh, if you got to the end and I had to wait for a whole second book to to find out what Catherine Kaplan, the journal writer, uh, has to offer, it would be, oh God, I don't know. But it, 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 there it was, it was a second part, but again, it wasn't like an appendix. It fit. It was just a, a, a nice flow to saying, okay, reader, you have a story, a life story. You right. want others to understand from your perspective what you've made of your life. Here's how to journal. So it was it was it was very generous to keep it in, and that was his. Uh, and he he wanted to have that happen, huh? Yes. Very cool. <laughs> very cool. I, as you know took uh, a pretty raw manuscript from our our uh, joint teacher and friend Peter Vale and, and I I I felt uh, it was all I had was just basically the word files and 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 one thing that it was run off uh, at a Kinko and I thought what am I gonna do this is really important material that Peter couldn't finish. And I had agreed to contact contractually. I yes. will, I will finish this. I promise. But in your in the same case, this sat there in my belly. Really, this yeah. obligation because I wanted to be sure that I found someone who who would I I could work with. So I'm back to you and Tom. And it was Grace that got me there too because I needed to be in a, almost a first among all to put out a book with this particular publisher. And yes. it was digital and it was gonna be done uh, almost uh, in real time. As far as I would write a, I would write a section and, and it would be instantly proofread and edited. So it was, it was a continuous flow like you've had with, right. week, with weekly meetings. And I know that uh, what I needed was what I got from this very young, uh, kind, smart gentleman named Theo Ward Stigler was his belief in me. Because I, both of us knew that whatever Peter wrote was 
was very, very good, no matter how it was, it, it was finally edited out. It was really good Peter Vale. But I was feeling that subordinate thing, you know, which Peter right. ch chastised me for about three or four times. David, we're peers. You're no longer my student. <laughs> he would say that uh, because I was always deferential and, and I would be still. But what my uh, collaborative book partner said was, put your voice in there and then Peter's voice, and then your voice, and write as you would as David Furon, not trying to be the expert on practice or top Peter's ideas on practice, just make it compatible. And that's what I did. I think you've probably noticed that if you had a chance to look at it. But Yeah, I, of course. But this, this conversation isn't just about me, but it is about the two of us who... Uh, had quite extraordinary, challenging circumstances within which we uh, still, no matter what, produce these these two books, and and they're books from the heart because in my case it was a book that I had promised to a great thinker teacher, and in this case I want to ask you though, who who kept encouraging you who did you promise if it wasn't just yourself that this memoir would be done and not just tom but who in your life would you find uh the inspiration to do it as you've done it no matter what well you know patrick my partner yeah. in in work and and in life he wrote his memoir and I got all into it to help him because he had started with like a thousand pages. And, <laughs> no, that, that was too long. And uh, so I helped him with organizing, editing, and he self-published. So, you know, just being the general contractor of the whole process. Mm -hmm. And he always said to me, well, his book was about when he was a child oh. and he had an amazing memory and he could write dialogue. And so uh, he said, you should write about your childhood. Well, I didn't remember anything from my childhood. And I, I mean, I, I'm not that, I, I, I don't have his capacity or history. But if I had to say someone, it would be him. And also Peter Vale himself, because yeah. uh, I dedicated the book to him. Yeah. Because he, over the years, even when I wasn't, you know, I had already graduated, did the uh, dissertation and all that. And then as I would try to write more, he would always pull out the poem that he wrote about me, <laughs> about, you know, basically normalizing my anxiety because I'm a woman who takes, who's courageous and is always on the the edge of something and that it's normal to be anxious and just do it anyway. So wow. that was very, uh, you wow. know, supportive and empowering to me. Yeah. I suspect that uh, those two people uh, now uh, enormous spirits are, are kind of listening in right now. Right. I, I what, always feel what, like are, what are our two mentees going to say? <laughs> <laughs> And Patrick will say, well, Peter, I'm not sure how much of a mentor I was to Catherine. I, if anything, she was my mentor and yes, uh, he'd have a nice right. conversation. <laughs> right. <they will. laughs> go but ahead. I mean, yeah. No, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say the real impetus for this particular book was, you know, I've achieved a lot of very achievement oriented. I like projects. I like to be successful, but I've also always had a feeling inside of not being enough and, you know, just all of the that sort of syndrome and and that made me seek all the time for there must be an answer how do i get rid of this pain and i had said to myself if you ever get some relief some peace and some understanding of this you will write about it and that was my real motivation is if there's anyone out there and that's why i said my readers are people i don't know because I don't know who they are, but they can self-identify that there they are at work or in their family, and they they just don't feel good about themselves, and they don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, so that's really why I wrote it. I think there's a very large population, and sadly, who are in that state of mind and state of being. Uh, when, uh, when I looked at... Uh, review copy that you gave me and then um uh i think it was in a conversation we had with carol it came through to both of us that while men certainly have this state of mind and affairs for sure women definitely do and women need to be reading this so in some ways it, it has the lens of being a professional woman Doctorally qualified, working in major institutions as a as a in-house consultant in change. Mm-hmm. That in alone is a big story, which you've you've been studying how women have been doing that. But it wasn't just about that. It was everything I would guess and more that would come up in a woman's heart and soul as um, they're moving along in life. And so this book had that uh, that message to women, or am I imposing that on your thinking? No, and uh, actually, one of the women in my study, when I did the follow-up 20 years later, she wrote me an email and said, and I think your next book should be about your own journey. What did this research mean to you in the context of your life? So I kept that email and that was, was like, really, <laughs> really? Yeah. You think so? And yeah. that is what I ended up doing, weaving in uh, some of the research I did, what the, what the stories of the women that meant so much to me in organization mm-hmm. development and what was, why did they mean so much to me and what was going on, you know, in terms of my work or relationships or yeah anything so i'm very grateful to her and i wrote to her to tell her well i finally did it (laughs) (laughs) you did that's for sure uh what uh what ways can folks like us who really admire you and admire this result that you've achieved what ways can we help you bring this book to people's attention? Well, I mean, that is not something I'm very expert at. So 
like one of my colleagues was talking to me and she wanted me to write like a reader's guide because she's in social work and she feels the book would be a great kind of case study for people who are psychotherapists or, Mm -hmm. and then also for you, like OD consultants, but for the, so one level would be how to get it to academic programs who Mm -hmm. there they are trying to learn to be a clinician. And what if they had a practice of women, let's say, who are suffering and they wanted to understand kind of the journey and what is helpful. So that would be one. And another is I go pretty deep into organization development and some of the things I learned over years from coaches, from my colleagues. And so I would think, you know, though in OD, the whole premise is use of self. Yes, and the it more is. you so I mean <laughs> I show what it's like to yeah, what are we know talking yourself, about? Here? Right. Yeah. And We're not so, just talking about a, a nice catchy little phrase like use yourself. Right. And I know there's been serious writing and research about it, but but really and this struck me too when i read it do we really know what hell we're saying when we're gonna bring ourselves into uh uh, an occasion where we're going to help people change we know our down deep yeah we have terrors about certain changes we have things that we don't want to even face let alone disclose all of that we're bringing ourselves in and you can't come in you know with a huge thick veneer, <laughs> you can, but it it will not uh, uh, last very long in regard to your your the response you're getting from people because they can tell. Okay, she's asking us to be open and speak our minds and take risks. She's standing there, you know, covered with <laughs> laminated <laughs> with with her feelings right. uh, held behind the behind the the barrier. Now, I'm sure that's not how you were when you're out there working. But what it told us as a reader is, yes, well, I'm out there working in in these real big change situations in major institutions like hospitals. Yeah, I came to work bringing my hopes and fears, you know. But then again, I had risk, in quotes, uh, opening up, particularly in tough discussions and risk, in your case, risking someone saying we don't want you here anymore but the fact is you you were introspective and you you knew what was going on well it's very you know counterculture uh to own your vulnerability as a strength and it took me you know the women in my study had told me this back in uh 2000 uh I mean, 1990, I graduated in 1994. So between like 1992, I took all, did all the interviews. And one of the women had talked about vulnerability as a strength. And it has taken me till now to authorize myself and, and own that and say, you know, I know at work, I used to tell people, oh, I'm worried about this, or I don't know if it's going to work. And then my boss would say, don't leak, you're being too emotional. And then it would be used against me. Mm -hmm. You know, so 
it was a really hard thing to learn, but I feel now at least this is a contribution I can make to younger people or people at any age that are, you know, how do you, how do you accept yourself warts and all? And yes, in work, you need to have boundaries and you need to maybe put on that armor. Mm-hmm. But when you go home and in the pro, if you can't go deep, you know, for instance, I, I think one of the skills that is really important for everyone to learn is to grieve. And you could say, oh, yeah, uh, I had a loss and you should grieve. It's a word, but it's not a word. It's a no. deep process and it's very painful. So I always, for some reason, maybe because of my childhood, had a a valence, a a connection with sadness. So if someone felt sad, I could be with them. And then as the years went on, I'm in organization development and and a, a staff member dies and no one knows what to do. And I felt called upon to offer to create a little ritual and help each person say something and uh, move on. So I was doing it, but I was not grieving myself. And it wasn't until, you know, I'm losing my eyesight. And I went to this one counselor who said, you know, you're not only, you know, upset about losing your eyesight and not having, you're not working internally anymore. And, but uh, you never grieved. And I said, like, like, what do you mean? And she said, go home every week before, you know, during we meet weekly and figure out how do you let this out? How do you, you know, so I started like looking for music that would make me tear up. And then I'd look at images that would get me emotional. And then I had to have like this picture in my mind that I have to have like a sword going into my stomach to feel the pain. And I just had to practice like the whole pain of it. I had no idea. And thank God, thank God for that. Because then Patrick died and I knew how to grieve. Mm -hmm. So I have been doing that for the past two years and uh, taking that journey so that it can be transformed. And uh, anyway, so that's a big message. Well, it, 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 it came through very well in the book, but I would add that what people hearing this now must realize is those of us who professionally must stifle our feelings and set them aside and give our, our our compassion and attention to others. The One of the risks of that over time is that we become less and less and less able to feel uh, those things that are so deep and should be. I, I mean, I'm expressing it because I see it. After you explained it, I see it very well. And the idea of our vulnerability being our, our a strength, if not our greatest strength, in, in presence of others is permission to add another practice to, to my suite of practices, which is review the moments where you were being the, you know, the 
square-chinned, stiff upper lip, lip Yankee, or right when 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 you had such losses, and we've had more than a few in our in our family life. Uh, you were always the one. Oh, you know, you'll handle the things. You you you'll be the one who says the right words in the eulogy and all that. But I I realize now after hearing you, Catherine, I. I was a school teacher doing my sister's memorial. And that's not, that that should have been more than that. I shouldn't have been doing my performance at my sister's memorial. Yeah. Uh, You know, organizing the room and all that at at her nursing home. And I'm I'm just reflecting, but I was conditioned to just to do it. I mean, it was, and when we were driving back from Maine, I remember my wife saying, you know, you you put heart and soul into into Judy's care. You, we came up here every other yes. weekend and all this. I haven't heard you cry. I haven't seen you cry. And I said, I can't. So there, you know, right. <laughs> you're my you're my mentor now. Uh, yes, right. it's important. Uh, but I think some of us, because of our so-called professionalism, uh, think that it's the last thing you want to do is wear your heart on a sleeve. So uh, the readers of your book will have uh, a, a very uh, re, uh, inner view of someone who, like us, uh, has uh, faced uh, these things that maybe we didn't know, even know uh, were holding us back from having a full life. Uh, and and I sure as heck don't want to be at the, you know, well into my eighties when we when, when I pass away where I'm going, damn it, <laughs> I wish I'd loosened up. <laughs> well, a word you used is a word that I use. Like, what what would a reader get out of this book? Yes, and you said permission. Yes, and I feel they would get permission and inspiration. Permission to really get to know yourself, permission to let it take as long as it takes, for it to be a circuitous route, like the Beatles song, the long and winding road. And to be able to tolerate that and be able to say, you know what, I really want whatever it is. For me, it was integration and, um, you know, the self-acceptance. I wanted that, but that didn't mean I got it. It took a long time, but it helps, I think, to have that. And then you create a tension with where you are compared with where you want to go. And and the inspiration is, honest to God, if I could do it, a lot of people could do this because uh, <laughs> it was not easy. And, I, you know, I'm I'm nothing if not thorough. <laughs> and uh, it took a lot of time and reading and exploring and making mistakes to see a pattern and and be able to put, as I call it, my thousand piece jigsaw puzzle together. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and, and the cool thing is, Catherine, as we're moving up on my time budget here. Yes. Is that while you put the puzzle together, it's not finished. Right. It isn't. There, did you see that little cluster of 
pieces of the puzzle that you left over there on the shelf or the ones that are under the floor under your under your coffee table that's the good part and that's what i again what i learned a lot from peter about practice of all sorts you're trying very hard for it to never be done yet at the same time you love accomplishment now that's an interesting di dialogue right. you know between right. you, you know just uh i i really want this book this is what we've talked about today to be finished and it is it it's weighs about a third of a pound and it's got a lot of pages and every page one way or another has some really interesting journal entries and other things it's finished but then it isn't well and i can comment finished. on that because i'm working on my second memoir and this <laughs> this one is More puzzle pieces it's about love and grief and it it's the two years since Patrick died. And um, my journey towards, uh, you know, through the grief. And one of the things, you know, I already got a, a, a diploma in phantomology, which is the study of death. And I have a private practice now in grief support, but I'm uh, doing a deeper dive into facing death, my own death, because it's almost an impossible thing. And there's a book by Stephen Levine called um, A Year to Live. And it's as if you are given a uh, terminal diagnosis yeah. and that you know in one year what your sell-by date is. <laughs> and you live that year as if it's your last. And so I'm going deeper and deeper into grief, our mortality, how impossible it is to actually face it. <laughs> and, and how does that impact your choices to live fully? Because yes. it isn't, the point isn't to get all depressed and then sort of give up, but to say, well, if I really knew, there's an end. You know, and that's why I, I feel an urgency. I really do to write now and to go deeper and to express all this. So the only thing I didn't like about the metaphor of the jigsaw puzzle is it's all neat and tidy. And my life is anything but that. So it's more that Take there's the a box. lot of... Take right, the box, that, shake it up. Yes, there's and... a lot of pieces and you try to see the edge and the colors and where they match. Mm. But I'm... I'm responding to what you're saying. I'm not finished. Yeah. And it's not well, over till it's over. I I am I'm, I'm delighted that you are doing this second memoir that focuses on these matters. Relevance? I think so. <laughs> I don't know anyone who isn't going to die someday and who yeah. isn't uh, struggling with the losses. Uh, particularly with the COVID losses, over a million people here in this country. Uh, we, we, we have, I hope, as a nation, have, are sobered up somewhat, and we are eager to learn how to live this gift of our remaining days, leaving a lot fewer regrets uh, at the end of the process. So congratulations right. on this memoir, and I look forward to the next memoir, after which it could be some other Catherine Kaplan uh, <laughs> production. 
This person is indomitable. <laughs> and uh, and wonderful and kind as you can hear in her voice. So thank you, Catherine. And again, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. I learned so much myself. More about social action and the nature of practice, head over to connectionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh, how could I have forgotten? Our digital book, On Practice as a Way of Being, is now available. You'll find it online at www.mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience, since it's wherever your screen is in hand or at hand.